heaven and earth is vibrating with activity. I am bringing things into alignment. Do not miss out. Allow me to use you as part of my perfect plan. These are trying days, but also present innumerable opportunities for victory. Victory is claimed when my will is accomplished on earth and in the hearts of my children. The enemy, your adversary, strives to paralyze you with fear, but I have overcome the world. In me, there is no fear, only perfect peace. You will find power and boldness as you trust in me. Trust is gained when you know my heart and experience me through intimate fellowship. Do not seek strength, but seek, seek me. Your strength will come when your trust in me is so great that everything else fades away. You will know me and feel my love in such a powerful way that anything that is not of me will have to flee. You will radiate my presence and find strength through your joy in me. I have called you to a path of righteousness. I have set before you your kingdom assignments. I have equipped you for your calling. Not by your works, but by my grace will you walk through these times. Others will come along beside you. You will not be alone. The journey will not be easy, but the rewards will be immeasurable. I see your heart. I will answer your call. Trust me. Trust my ways. Trust my timing. And trust my provision. Know that these times will not last. Do not have limited vision, only focusing on the present. See through your spiritual eyes and rejoice for what is to come. All right. Anybody ready for the word this morning? All right. Let's pray. Lord, we just open our hearts to receive from you. Holy Spirit, we just submit to you and ask you to have your way, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. And we thank you for equipping us to be more effective servants for your kingdom. So we do open our hearts. And we confess that we have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord wants to say this morning. And we have a heart full of intention of applying your word. So we thank you for what you're doing in our midst, Father. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for what you're doing in this congregation. And we just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to be ending or... Yeah, finishing the series that we started a number of weeks ago. We've been doing a series on worship. For those of you who've been around, uh, Cornell Cannon and, and Greg Cloxon have done an amazing job of, of sharing what the Lord's put on their hearts concerning this topic. And I'm going to finish it up today. And my topic this morning is weapon of mass destruction. The extreme importance of a lifestyle of worship. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor this morning. It seems unusually quiet. I don't know if that's because the youth aren't here or what. But I'm going to ask you to help me preach. So I'm going to give you permission that if I say anything that you like or you should like, 
Uh, go ahead and give me an amen. Thank you very much. All right. I mean, feel free to help me because uh, the secret, in case you don't know this, and I know all preachers and teachers who um, minister behind the pulpit will attest to this, that they love encouragement. When you say something other than be quiet and sit down, never mind. When you say something encouraging, like amen, preach it, brother, that encourages us. All right, so I'm giving you permission to help me out this morning. There we go. Awesome. Awesome. You guys are good. All right, weapon of mass destruction, the, the extreme importance of a lifestyle of worship. This has been on my heart for a while, and there's a lot in here, so I'm hoping I can get it all out in, that, in a way that it makes sense. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. Uh, we're not going to, we don't have our, probably not going to have our scriptures up this time because our youth are gone, the ones who usually help with that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Pause there. Now, if you have to have weapons, which right here the Bible says, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There are, our weapons are mighty. If you have to have a weapon, that means you have an enemy, correct? If you have to have weapons, that means you have to have an enemy, correct? Okay, now who's our enemy? Can I hear Satan? Anything else? Self, flesh. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6... It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we do know that our enemy is the enemy, the devil, strongholds, principalities. And some people think that that's the only enemy we have. That's one of our enemies. But I really don't even believe that that's our most lethal enemy. Because he has been defeated, by the way, in case you didn't know that. But there's an enemy that we may not be aware of. Let's get back to that verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare. So understand that we have weapons. We do have weapons, and we have a need for them. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which means of the flesh, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Awesome. Thanks, Avery. Man of many talents. Pulling down strongholds, bringing every thought captive. <clears throat> Do you realize that these thoughts are talking about our thoughts? Strongholds, imaginations. One of our biggest enemies of our soul is our soul. One of the biggest enemies that we deal with are, is right between our two ears. Our thoughts, our imaginations, the strongholds of lies that have built up over the years that will speak lies to us every day. Anybody ever heard of the term called self-talk? Anybody ever heard of that? Where you mutter and talk to yourself? What kind of things do you say to yourself? I'm not asking you to say that out loud. You might not be able to say it in here anyway. But a lot of things we say that we believe about ourselves are actually lies. And so a lot of times we have a hard time moving forward and advancing and doing what God has called us to do 
Because we don't believe his truth, but we believe the lie that's in our head. And some of them have been built up and they've been there long enough and they become strongholds. So the two enemies that we have, one of our enemies is external. There is the devil, demons, principalities, and all that kind of thing. That is a reality. And the other enemy is our soul, the arguments, the um, strongholds, the lies that have been built up in our thinking in our soul. And so again, remember, we're talking about weapons of mass, weapon of mass destruction. The importance of a lifestyle of worship. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 through 24, I'm just going to skip through some of this. But it's one of my favorite stories. The weapon we're going to be talking about today, well, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn your phones off. Make sure mine's turned off. I'm going to be talking about the weapon of worship, praise and worship. How it is an incredible, it is a mighty weapon, and it is one of the weapons that God has given us, and He intends for us to use it because we are in a battle. And I know that can sound cliche, you know, we're in a battle, but unfortunately, many of us, we know that we're in a battle, but we don't act like we're in a battle, and we're just allowing ourselves to get whipped. We're being overcome by the enemy. We're being overcome by the thoughts that are lies in our head. And the Lord has given us mighty weapons so that we can overcome. Do you realize that He has called us to be more than conquerors through Christ? Not only are we overcomers, but we're more than conquerors. Do you know what more than a conqueror looks like? I mean, it's one thing if two guys are fighting, one guy overcomes and whips the other one, then he's a conqueror. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? More than a conqueror. I think a great picture is like Rocky Balboa and his wife, Adrian. Remember her? Rocky gets in the, in the ring. You remember Rocky number four where he fights the Russian giant, you know, the Russian guy? And then he finally, after 10 hours of fighting, he finally beats him, right? So Rocky overcame. And so... Let's say in that fight, if there was money given, you know, he wins $10 million for that. Okay, so he won the fight, but his wife gets to cash the check. And she didn't have to throw any blows or receive any blows. You see what I'm saying? So she's more than an overcomer. She didn't have to fight, but she gets the benefits. And that's how Jesus did for us. He defeated hell. He overcame. And we get to walk in the victory that he made available for us. That victory has been won for us, and he calls us more than conquerors, more than, you know, we're overcomers, more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. However, in this world, we have to learn to use the weapons that he's given us so we can walk in the victory that he's made for us. Now, ultimately, when we go and we're with him, when we pass out of this life into his life, there will be no more fighting. We'll experience the ultimate victory. But right now, in the flesh, we still have some things to walk in. We have to learn how to walk in the victory that he's made available. And too many Christians aren't doing that at all. And all you have to do is look at their testimony. And God intends for us to be victorious. Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says, It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Amnon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to the battle came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar. 
And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, our God. So he begins. So here's what's happening. He's been told word came to him that three armies, not just one or two or three armies is coming against Jehoshaphat and his kingdom. Three against one. And it's a vast army. And they're coming to annihilate, to wipe them out. Jehoshaphat's just been told that. And of course, the first thing he experiences is fear. But he does a smart thing. He seeks the Lord. And not only does he seek the Lord, but he calls his kingdom. He says, guys, we're in trouble. We need God. We need to seek him. So he proclaims a fast throughout his kingdom. And they begin to cry out to the Lord. And then as he's praying, Jehoshaphat does a wonderful thing. He reminds God of his promises. He said, hey, God, you know these people that are coming against us? They're the same ones that you told us to leave alone back in the day when we were passing through their kingdom when we were wiping everybody out. You told us to leave them alone. And now they're coming to kill us. But you're our God, and, and we are looking forward to you helping us. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. So they cry out to God, remind God of his promises, and then the prophet speaks. He speaks somewhere. Well, that's a long prayer. <laughs> thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground. All Judea and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So after they prayed, then the prophet spoke and said, Guess what, guys? You don't have to worry about this. This battle is not yours. God is aware of it, but he's going to fight this for you. All you have to do is go out there and face them and stand still and watch God fight the battle for you. How many of you realize that there are times when the enemy comes towards us? He comes to take us out. There are times when the Lord says, stand still and know that I am God. I will take care of this. But how are you going to know that if you don't seek him? And see right here, they sought him for direction. What do we do? We're in trouble. There was not much they could do anyway except run. And then the Lord spoke and said, I got this. I got your back. So there are times when the Lord says, just stand still and let me fight this for you. So some of you are going through battles right now and you're not knowing what to do. And that's why it's important to seek the Lord to see what he says. Is he saying, I got this, or is he giving you other instruction? But the important thing is, is hearing his instruction and then walking out according to it. Amen? So they rose up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and they went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judea and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Whoops. 
Technology is freaking out on me. And believe his prophecy should prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army. And they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they had begun to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Amnon, Moab, and, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Amnon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Moab, Seir, to utterly kill and destroy them. And they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir. They helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. What I find interesting in this story, so what happens is they come over, they're standing there. Uh, Jehoshaphat told the praisers, put the praisers in front of the army. He says, you guys go out in front. One reason why I think he might have done that is because if the praisers started getting killed and he had time to run. Okay, bad joke. I think one reason, what I find interesting is as they begin to praise, it says when they begin to praise, then God said ambushes. It was like the praise activated God doing something on their behalf and the enemy was destroyed. But here's what I find interesting. The prophet didn't tell Jehoshaphat to put the praisers in front. He didn't say, okay, stand still and know that the Lord is God. He's going to fight this battle for you. By the way, put the praisers in front. The prophet didn't say to do that. God didn't tell him to do that. Jehoshaphat, from what I can see, Jehoshaphat made that decision himself. And here's what I think. Because he said, if you believe in the Lord, then you shall be successful. Let's see. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing. So here's what I think. This is my speculation. He encouraged them, remember what the Lord told us last night. And he thought, you know what? What's going to keep us from when we come over that hill and we see this vast army from freaking out and running away? All of a sudden, getting your eyes off of God, getting your eyes on the circumstances and freaking out, letting fear come in and overwhelm you and no telling what would have happened. But I believe he wanted them to keep their eyes on God. So he says, here's what we're going to do. Praisers, you guys go out front so everybody else can see them. And they begin to praise so they were a reminder and an encouragement that we need to keep our eyes on him. And so when the people looked at him, looked at God and were reminded of how awesome he was and were reminded of what he said the night before, I got this. They begin to praise him and all of a sudden the enemy began to get wiped out. So I believe the importance of praise in this situation is it allows us and helps us to keep our eyes on him. Because a lot of times we put our eyes on the circumstances and our soul just freaks out. I mean, when you have major bills coming towards you or people, circumstances coming at you and it's huge, it's, it's bigger than you can even think about fighting against. What typically happens? Our soul freaks out. We go crazy inside. And then that's when I believe the enemy... The devil begins to speak things to us. You are going to die. They're going to wipe you out. They're going to take every cent you own. And all these lies are coming at you. And fear. I believe one of the biggest weapons of the enemy is fear. 
mean, think about it. The biggest weapon of our father is faith, right? Faith. The biggest weapon of the enemy is fear. You know, it's interesting because in this story, God could have just said, you guys stay at home. I got this. I'll take care of them. And while they were sleeping, he could have wiped them out. But he didn't do that. He told them to go and stand and face the enemy. Face what you're afraid of. So that you can put your faith in me and see that I'm bigger than your fears. I'm bigger than your enemy. And see what praise does, what worship does, is it gets her eyes off the circumstances and it puts her eyes on him. The one who is bigger than everything. See, because your faith is not tested when everything is going well, is it? <clears throat> your faith is, is tested when the enemy is staring you square in the face. When circumstances are about to overwhelm you. That's why it's so important to get in his presence. You know, years ago, I used to work at the youth shelter. And the Lord taught me about this, about allowing him to fight the battles for me. And I worked at this place for three and a half years. And I believe I was probably into my second, second or third year working here. So I'm you know, very well established. I worked the graveyard shift from 10, a, 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. <clears throat> my supervisor adored me. I was awesome. But I had a great relationship with my supervisor because I did what she said. I was a good worker and everything. There was a new lady that began to work there during the daytime shift. So I never saw her. I hardly ever saw my supervisor because by the time I got there in the evening, the kids were mostly asleep and my supervisor was in bed sleep. Everybody was asleep. So I'd come in, read my assignment, and do my job. Well, all of a sudden, these I started getting these notes. The way my supervisor communicated with me was through these little pink slips, these little pieces of paper. And they were normally okay. She'd say, hey, CJ, don't forget to put out breakfast for the kids or don't forget, you know, whatever I needed to do, she would communicate through those that communication. We didn't have cell phones back in the day and texting, all that kind of stuff. I don't even know if we had email. But anyway, all of a sudden I started getting on these pink pieces of paper. She said something like, don't forget, uh, you left the freezer open last night. Please don't do that again. Now the freezer in the shelter is a big mammoth freezer upright that stored probably hundreds and hundreds of pounds of meat. That was, you know, to last however long it lasts. So you leaving the freezer open is not good because then the stuff thaws out and then you have to have a big cookout. Anyway, so leaving the freezer open was not good. And I'm thinking, leave the freezer open? I didn't, I hadn't even gone in that part of the house. So I thought, okay, I won't leave the freezer open. And then each time when I'd come to work, I kept getting these notes. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Well, then somehow, I don't remember now because it's so long ago, but I found out somehow that this new lady, who I thought was a friend because we went to school together, she was telling my supervisor that I was doing these things. I'm like, what? And I kept getting these notes, and I knew that if this kept going on, I was going to get in big trouble because these were serious, you know, leaving the freezer open, you do that more than once. And, and I was getting pretty upset because, one, I was getting in trouble with my supervisor. I knew my job was being jeopardized and so I thought okay I'm going to fix this situation and I was pretty upset and so remember the way to communicate is through through notes and everything so I was going to write actually I wrote this big letter to my supervisor setting the facts straight and as I was writing this letter and I was pretty heated pretty upset pretty mad 
I would rather have faced the people face to face, but I didn't have that opportunity. And so I wrote this long letter, and the Lord said, you need to tear that up. And then I began to explain to God the situation, because obviously he wasn't aware of what was going on. I said, Lord, let me explain something to you here. Don't you see what's going on? And I was pretty upset having a, I won't say a heated discussion, because there was no arguing back and forth. I was the only one running my mouth. And I was saying, Lord, don't you see what's going on? All this kind of stuff. And after I ran it for a while, all I heard was, I will take care of this, tear up the letter. And it took me a few hours. Now, my shift was, what, a nine-hour shift? This was a battle going on most of the night. So I finally tore up the letter and said, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Trust you. I trust you. And I had to keep my eyes on him because, I, you know, dealing with the emotional rage and the frustration, all that kind of stuff. The enemy was throwing us, you're going to get fired, you're going to lose your job, and all this kind of stuff. You need to do, you know, all that. The battle that was, that was going on, I was having to fight. Not the person, but fighting my soul and trusting him. And so I did. Peace came. I surrendered. And then all of a sudden, so I never said anything to my boss or anybody else. And then what I found out happened was then I was blamed for breaking. There was a new, I can't remember if it was a toaster oven or something, some piece of expensive equipment was broken. And I was blamed. The lady tried to say that I did it. Well, she went a little too far because my supervisor happened to know exactly how that piece of equipment got broke. One of the kids accidentally broke it. And so when she did that, then the supervisor caught on. And so before I even got back to work, the lady was fired. Didn't have to say a word, and the whole situation was taken care of. Sometimes when we're in, we're in circumstances, now some of you may think, well, that's not that big of a deal. Well, to me it was. I was a college kid. My whole world was my job. You know what I'm saying? That was a big deal to me. My soul was screaming and raging. You may be facing a circumstance right now, and you have no idea what to do except lash out, fight back, retaliate. And what you need to do is get before the Lord and say, Lord, do you know what's going on? And of course he knows what's going on, but he wants you to talk to him about it. He wants to say, come here, son, come here, daughter, come sit on my lap. Let's talk about this. You know, the Bible says that we can with confidence approach his throne of grace to obtain mercy and find help in time of need. He's saying, come on, kids, come sit on my lap. He's inviting us to come and engage him intimately, cry on his lap if we need to, scream in his face, whatever we need to do. He can handle it. He's got big shoulders. But he's saying, come into my presence. And if we learn to do that, and one way to do that, obviously through prayer, worship. The reason why that's so important is because it helps to calm our soul down. It helps to to calm down the emotions, and it gets our eyes on him. It gets our eyes on Him. And then we're reminded because then truth begins to flood, especially if we're singing songs declaring how awesome He is, how amazing He is. And it's like, God, you've done all this for me to let me get wiped out by this circumstance? I don't think so. And so engaging that amazing weapon of worship. Now, obviously, we're not aiming that weapon at God. Follow the analogy here. But we're just worshiping Him. Getting his perspective.
1 Samuel chapter 30, one of my favorite stories. 1 Samuel chapter 30. You can read it later. I'm going to kind of skim through this. I believe it's the whole chapter or a great part of it. It says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. Attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and his people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no more power to weep. So imagine the circumstance. David and his mighty men, his army, they're out fighting, wiping out the enemy on this side. Well, then an enemy come, another enemy comes around behind and comes, burns the city down, and kidnaps their kids. So when David and his mighty men, who are battle-worn, tired and worn out, can't wait to be reunited with their families and have a great time and celebrate, they come home, they see smoke, the town is burning, is on fire, and their family's gone. Imagine if you were in that circumstance, imagine your emotional state. Just imagine that. You know, a lot of times when we read these stories, we just read them when we just go right through them and we, we skip out all the emotional element in them. And then we miss what God is wanting to teach us through that because we don't see these people as real people. We just see them as whatever, cartoon characters or something. But just imagine, this is a real circumstance. This is historical. This really happened. It wasn't a parable that Jesus was sharing. This really happened. The men were so distraught that they cried until they could not cry anymore. You ever cried like that before? You cry so hard that nothing comes out anymore? That's how they were. That's the circumstance and the, the emotional state they were in. And then it says David was even more distraught because his men wanted to kill him. Because, see, they were so distraught because their kids were gone, their family was gone. And then they said, this is David's fault. Now, I'm speculating. It doesn't say that, but this is David's fault because if we weren't out fighting these battles, we would have been here with our families, and this wouldn't have happened. Let's kill him. That's an effective response, isn't it? Let's kill the leader. It's his fault. So imagine you being David. Not only are your kids and wives, plural, taken, but the guys that you were crying with a minute ago, now all of a sudden they want to kill you. So imagine you being in David's shoes. It says, great, David was greatly distressed because the speak, people spoke of stoning him. But here's what it says. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. In other translations, it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, from what we know of David, what we know of the Psalms, how do you think David encouraged himself in the Lord? Somebody. Praise and worship. I mean, that's what he was all about, wasn't he? I mean, you think he got in the mirror and says, you are awesome. You can do this. Get out there and kick. You think David was doing that? Pumping himself up? Put those self-motivational CDs in his CD player and to pump himself up? No. 
Remember, this is a real circumstance, a real serious circumstance. And it says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, I used to think when I used to read through this, that this is something that probably took a few minutes. But think in reality, this probably took all day. I mean, it probably took several hours. I mean, imagine his emotional state from his kids are gone. And as far as he's thinking, they're probably dead. And then he's about to be dead because his people want to kill him. But then it said he encouraged himself in the Lord. I believe he says, hey, guys, hold on to those stones for a minute. I'll be back. And he went and just got before God. And just cried and screamed and yelled and worshipped and probably said a few choice words that they didn't get written in the book. I'm sure David, it didn't look like this. I'll be back. Hallelujah, Jesus, you're awesome. Hallelujah, God. Okay, guys, let's go. I don't think it was like that. I mean, let's be real, right? His soul was screaming at him and his men wanted to kill him. But he got in God's presence. That's how he trained himself. No telling how long it took. It might have been hours. Some of us want 15 minutes, God. I want to know now. Let's go. But we need to get in God's presence, shut the doors and say, okay, debt collectors or court people, whatever, hold that Hold that a second. I'll be back. And just get in God's presence. And do whatever you need to do. But make sure it includes a whole bunch of worship. Being reminded of who he is. And how he is. How amazing he is. Being reminded of how he helped you the last time you were in a bad circumstance. Being reminded of how he helped your brothers and sisters in the Bible. How he helped them. How he helped your mom or your dad or or your brothers or sisters. The testimonies of his goodness. Be reminded of those things. Not listening to the accusations and the voice of the enemy. That says you're about to be wiped out. You're about to die. Too many of us feed on that lie. We feed on that because it sounds good and for some reason it can even feel good. Thank you. Appreciate that. So after David encouraged himself in the Lord, it says, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Please bring the ephod ephod here, ephod. And the priest brought it to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Lord, am I supposed to go and fight or am I supposed to stand still and let you take care of this? What am I supposed to do? Shall I pursue them? The Lord says, yes, you shall, and you shall overtake all. I think that's what David wanted to hear. I don't think he wanted to hear, stand still and know I'm God. David wanted to go and use that sword of his. I think you men can appreciate that. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him and came to the brook where those 
who stayed were left behind. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. There were so many men. Now David started out with 600 men. He only had 400 go with him in the battle because 200 were too tired. Remember, they had just come from battling before. And this, as far as we know, this could be the same day or the very next day that they just got home. So we're talking very turnaround, very quick turnaround time. So a couple of hundred of the guys were tired. David said, you guys stay here, watch the stuff. We're going after them. They went and they engaged these guys. And there were so many of the enemy that it took them a long time, a whole day and a half or whatever to destroy them. And then it says, all of them were destroyed except for 400. That means that army had to be so big that 400 wasn't even a number. I mean, it's like, oh, just a few of them escaped. That's how, many David, that's how many men David had was 400. So this army was that huge, that vast. And these 400 men went up against this vast army and wiped them out. And then it says they recovered every single person. Every single person was recovered. Sons and daughters, wives, everybody, all the stuff was taken, received back. Imagine, you know, I think about this. If David would not have encouraged himself in the Lord, if he would have stayed distraught, one, his men might have killed him, or two, they might not have killed him, but they would have stayed discouraged, stayed there, and the people who were held captive probably would have stayed captive. They wouldn't have gotten him back. Do you know why it's so important for us to know how to encourage and strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Because there are people out there who are waiting for you to go and deliver them. You know, I hope, you know, when I mentioned this last time or whenever, I don't know if it was last week. But Bruce Jenner, for example, Bruce Jenner, who now goes by Caitlin, I believe it is. And how many of us get disgusted at that and we, we say all the stuff and we fill up the, the Facebook stuff and we just go to town? Instead of realizing that someone like him needs to be rescued. You know, we, we get upset about and I'm upset, I'm not happy about it, the, the Supreme Court ruling, the same-sex marriage, and all these things. And we spend all this effort shaking our fists, and I can't believe this, and we get upset, and we cuss and fuss and all this, and the Ten Commandments being taken out of our, our state Supreme Court. And we just rant and rave, and what's this world coming to, and these people, and this, and this, and this. Don't you realize that people need to be rescued? And my question is, who's going to rescue them? And I don't think they're going to be rescued by my negative Facebook post. I don't think that's going to do them any good. Matter of fact, what I think it does is it confirms in them how irrelevant I am as a Christian when they see how judgmental I am by my post. I hope you burn in hell. We have to strengthen and encourage ourselves in the Lord. Like David did. And say, Lord, what do I do? And he'll say something like, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. 
I have equipped you to set the captives free. But if I'm held captive myself by my own imaginations and my thoughts and lies and hate and anger, if I'm in bondage, then how am I going to set anybody else free? You know this race stuff that's going on. Let me talk a little bit about that. This race stuff. You know, I see stuff on the news and Facebook, and, and I don't do a lot of, I don't watch the news a lot. I usually watch about five minutes, and that's where, it used to be Bob Berry Jr. You know, the sports, five minutes of sports, that's the, that's the real news right there. But sometimes when I'm waiting for that, I'm sitting next to my wife, she has to watch the weather, and then we'll catch some of the news and that kind of thing. But all this race stuff that's going on. You know, the, the enemy has weapons called fear and hate. And unfortunately, too many Christians are getting sucked into that. Fear and hate. They see stuff happening. They hear about this group doing this. And they get angry and they want to react. What is your anger going to do to help race relations? And it's like we're feeding right into the enemy's hand. You know, we get angry. And there's, there's some bad stuff going on. I'm not trying to belittle or minimize anything. There's some horrible stuff going on. But who is called to do something about it? That's my question. Who is called to make a difference? Who has been equipped with the Spirit of the Lord, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead... We have been called and equipped to do something. And I believe Jesus is a, would be a pretty good example for us to follow. And you see what he did to the people who were not even tolerated by society. It was even against the law to touch some of those people. And Jesus touched them anyway. He said, law, what are you going to do about this? Bam, be healed. You know, the woman at the well, that was a no-no. Healing the leper by touching him, that was a no-no. The woman with the issue of blood touching him, no, 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 no. The Samaritans, women, prostitutes, sinners. Jesus broke all those rules. He went against society. And I believe he's called us to follow his example. We can either get caught up in the fear and the anger and the emotion of what's going on and all the turmoil and throw our two cents in there. That sounds really cool and fierce and brave and, ooh, yeah, good word, get them on Facebook. But I think in heaven, I think it rings a different tone. And so my challenge to you is to not stoop to what the world's doing or carnal Christians are doing, but to rise up and be the man of God that you are called to be, that you are equipped to be. You have what they need. You know, Bruce Jenner or Caitlin, I mean, the guy's obviously messed up inside. 
He needs, he needs an encounter with Jesus. And probably, just betting, probably Jesus isn't going to show up himself and minister to Bruce Jenner. But I bet his plan has something to do with one of us showing up. And of course, I'm just using him as an example. We don't have to go all the way to Hollywood or wherever he's at to minister to him. We have plenty of people who need ministering to right here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. You know what I'm saying? John chapter 4, God says, I'm looking for worshipers, those who will worship in spirit and truth. I believe a worshiper is someone who is after God's heart. You know, in Acts 13, it says, And when God had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also God gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. One thing that really got God's attention concerning David was not the fact that he was a worshiper, but the fact that the man did God's will. And the fact that he was a worshiper, to me, is what enabled him to do God's will. It's what equipped and empowered him to do God's will. See, God's will was for the people, David's sons and daughters, and all those people who were kidnapped to be brought back out of captivity. That was God's will. He needed someone who was going to follow him and execute his plan. He needed a man who knew how to encourage himself in the Lord and say, okay, Lord, now that my soul has shut up, I am all ears to hear you, what do I do? When you are going through your hard and challenging circumstances and your soul is freaking out and you're saying, I've been praying, but I can't hear anything. I've been praying, but I can't hear anything. It's because, it's not because God's not talking. It's because your soul is too loud and you can't hear God. You know, it's like if you're trying to listen to someone, they called you on the telephone, but the TV is turned way up. Oops. The TV is turned way up. And it's like, man, you have to speak louder. I can't hear you. I can't. What? What was that? What was that? You have to speak louder. The TV's way too loud. It's kind of silly, isn't it? What do you do? You go turn the TV down or the stereo, whatever it is. You reduce the volume so you can hear what they're saying. We have to reduce the volume in our head, in our souls. And until that volume is turned down, you're not going to hear what God is saying. Not going to happen. So why is God looking for worshipers? He's looking for people who are after his heart. People who know how to get in his presence. People of faith. People of faith, not fear. I believe one of our major problems or challenges is compartmentalizing and separating our relationship with God from our daily lives. This is what creates a religious lifestyle versus living life with our heavenly daddy. We compartmentalize. You know, this is church. Okay, here's how we act right now between 10 and noon. And then when we leave here, then we go and we do normal life. Or we have our little Bible study, or we have our prayer time, and we compartmentalize. It's like, okay, I'm doing God's stuff, now I'm doing other stuff, important stuff. Whether it's work, business, teaching, school, whatever it is, we compartmentalize. And, and so this creates a religious lifestyle. I'm going through motions, good motions, but I'm going through motions. And then we unintentionally model this to our children... And many of them grew up not seeing a relationship with God as relevant. 
Why is it that you have so many kids who grew up in a church? My kids went to church with me almost every Sunday for 18 years or however old they were. Then they go off to college or to the military or they go off in life and they don't have anything to do with God. It's like, I know I taught them better than that. What would you teach them? To go to church every Sunday. Oh, really? Hmm. And we think going to, them going to church every Sunday is going to equate or going to compete with the glitz and the glamour of the world. Do you think it's going to compete? I went to Oklahoma State a few years ago. Okay, more than a few years ago. And I was exposed to stuff like, whoa, my mom never told me about this. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. But I still didn't know about what I was facing when I came to college. And when I became a Christian my freshman year, second semester of my freshman year, and so I was a Christian the rest of my, Christ, uh, my uh, through college. But watching the Christians, kids who did grow up in Christian homes, who were Christians, you know, the first couple of weeks or months you see them and they're speaking in tongues and they're all fired up and they're going to church and everything. And then a few months later, they're not doing that anymore. Matter of fact, it's like, whoa, what happened to you? Totally wash out their faith, whatever. They're just totally going away the world unapologetic because some of their professors have told them some truth about God not being real and all that kind of stuff. And so now they're walking in real truth, relativism, and they wash out and we wonder why or how in the world did we not, are they not going to church anymore? Teaching them how to be religious is not going to equip them to face the world. But teaching them how to have a relationship and fall in love with Jesus I believe that a lifestyle of worship helps remedy that dilemma because it helps us not to only invite His presence into our daily lives, but it helps us become more aware of Him and increases our God awareness throughout our day. So we will not be turned, tuned into what He is saying, so we will be tuned into what He's saying and wanting us to do. I believe worship is a very important instrument or weapon or key that enables us to be in communion or connection with him throughout the day. Throughout the day. We need to be worshipers. Where at any moment, anytime we're facing something, our reaction, our knee-jerk reaction is to get in his presence. I need a few minutes to get by myself. Worship him. Connect with him. And see, as we do that, and our kids see that, then we're modeling before them how to have a real relationship with God. And so they see when we face trials and things, they see what we do. They see how we respond, how we react. What do I mean by a lifestyle of worship? Worship being a regular part of your life as an individual and a part of your family dynamic. Where intentional time is set and spent singing songs of praise and worship to the Father. Now, I know our lives are supposed to be a life of worship unto the Father. I agree with that, and I believe that 100%. However, I also believe that we, every single one of us, need to have daily intentional times that we're singing worship and praise to Him. That is my conviction, and I'm telling you that, and I believe you need to have that same conviction. I believe we need to communicate, commune with Him daily. 
intentionally setting aside time, whether it's, you know, if, I'm, if I have an hour commute or a 45-minute commute or even a 30-minute commute or whatever, that's a perfect time for me to pop on the worship and just, just yell at Belt it out, just worship, connect with Him. But it's intentional time. Because you're training yourself. You're changing your mindset. And we do this so that it becomes our response, our reaction, not only during triumphant times, but also during times of stress, times of trial and discouragement, just like David did. You know, earlier this week, I was having to make a big decision. I was going through a stressful time, and my soul was all knotted up. And I was trying to think myself out of it. You ever done that? You're trying, well, if I just do, you know, just, I was trying to figure it out. But it wasn't working because the more I thought about it, the more my soul was just becoming overwhelmed with this, the circumstances. So I got with God, spent time with him, and I didn't even talk to him about the circumstance yet. I just worshiped him. God, you're so amazing. God, you're so good. And just singing some of the songs that we sing here. Some of my favorite worship songs, whatever, just worshiping him. Then when things calm down, then I begin to talk to him about that circumstance. And he began to answer me. Peace began to rule and reign instead of turmoil and fear and anxiety. And he helped me wonderfully in that circumstance. You remember, uh, brothers, when I was preaching on Father's Day, I had two points and I had a third one, but I didn't get to finish. Well, here's my third point. So I'm intentionally, specifically speaking to you fathers. But this message is also to everybody else, so don't everybody else check out on me. But I want to challenge you fathers because the Lord put this in my heart a few weeks ago, and now I get the opportunity to finish this, this thought. But I challenge you brothers with the following. To establish a lifestyle of worship First of all, in you, and then in your home. In your home. And what I mean by that, if you don't have any children yet, I know I said fathers, let me back up. Men, if you're married, you and your wife worship together. Just say, hey, honey, let's just do a couple of songs. We got all this technology we have. You can use either DVD or YouTube, great worship stuff, and just turn it on. Or if you play the guitar or a keyboard or whatever, Let's do that. If you have kids, I challenge you. It would take me too long to give you ABCs. Here's how you do it. Here's how I did it. That kind of thing. But I challenge you to seek the Lord for a way for you to lead your family in worship. To lead your family in worship. If Sunday morning is the only time your kids are being exposed to worship, then you are unintentionally teaching them that worship is irrelevant to real life. You know, we have a wonderful time of worship on Sunday mornings, and our kids enjoy it, and they get used to this atmosphere. But if this is the only time during the week they experience this, then we're teaching them that that is irrelevant to real life. Oh, that's what we do on Sunday morning when we're at church. But in real life, don't even think about that. We need to teach them that David, King David, that's reality. That's how you face reality. When you have circumstances, huge circumstances coming at you, and what did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord, strengthened himself in the Lord, getting in God's presence. 
they must see that it, worship is not only relevant, but an important aspect of life. First, brothers, you must be a worshiper, not perfect, but intentionally moving in that direction. Set aside 20, 30 minutes a couple of times of a week, 10 to 15 minutes. But you have to be intentional. And this has to go beyond, well, the pastor told me I need to do this. If that's all you're hearing, then forget everything else I say. But if you're hearing the Lord encourage and challenge you that he's wanting to equip you with a way to help instill a love for Jesus into their hearts, this is one weapon, this is one way of doing that. Particularly you with young kids, two, three, four, five-year-olds, perfect time to teach them, to train them. And you say, we don't understand, my kids are really rambunctious and rowdy. Try having four little boys. We can make all kinds of excuses. And we can have valid, legitimate excuses. But we've been equipped to overcome every excuse. And I'm going to choose to walk in the equipping to overcome the challenges instead of resting behind excuses and staying still. Because not only do I want to be the person that is able to help set the Bruce Jenners of the world free and to have them have an encounter with Jesus Christ through me, but I want to raise up my family to do the same thing. See, that's my passion. I want my kids, I'm not as concerned about them going to college or not, going to the military or not, getting a job or not, although those things are important. I don't tell them not to do that. That's not my concern. When they come to me about going to college or not, I say, son, what is it that you feel God is telling you to do? And they say, well, I feel like he's telling me this. Then do that with all your heart. Go for it. Whether it's military, whether it's college, whether it's going straight to a job or whatever. But my challenge in my heart to them is, but advance his kingdom. Whatever your assignment is, whether it's college, military, job, whatever, that's your assignment, but your calling is to advance his kingdom. That's what I'm commissioning you to do. You know, I think I have three sons that are out of the house, 23, 21, and 19-year-old. They all live in California. I have another one that's about to go there. And no, I'm not moving to California. Just unless the Lord tells me, but I have no desire to go to California. But the one thing that I've noticed in my sons, my three that are away from my influence now, that I appreciate, is that they are worshipers. They are worshipers. And what do I mean by that? Not Now, of course, they go to a great church where the worship is amazing. That's not what I'm talking about. That's cheating. Anybody can worship in that atmosphere. But I'm talking about when, I, when we talk, we commune, and they ask me this or whatever, and what I hear from them, you know, Dad, I was going through this, but I, I just realized I need to spend time with the Lord. I just turned on my worship music. I remember one of my sons telling me his car broke. Anybody ever dr- driven in rush hour traffic in San Francisco? Yeah, it's fun, ain't it? Well, my son had his car break down right in the middle of traffic. He had to pull over to the left side. Car broke down. His engine blew out. He told me this. And he said, you know what I did? He said, at first I was frustrated, as you can imagine. He said, and I called... Um, you know, AAA, so he called the tow, and of course they take forever to get there. So he sat there for 45 minutes, an hour plus. I can't remember exactly how long. He said, you know, Dad, what I decided to do is I just turned on my stereo, and I just worshiped Jesus. And he said, his presence just filled my car. 
And it was amazing. He began to tell me the stuff that God began to teach him. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Your car's broke down. You're on the side of the road in rush hour traffic, and you're worshiping him. Now, how realistic are you being? Come on, son, let's get real. We got real issues to face here, and you're worshiping God. Come on. Come on now. I'm like, yes. Because instead of him reacting to the circumstance, which, what's that going to do anyway? And I'm not talking about checking out a reality. If you're hearing that, then you're missing me. I'm going to go bury my head in the sand because I can't handle life. I'm talking about connecting to the one who's the author of life so I know how to deal with life in a way that's going to glorify him. That's what I'm talking about. You know, the same son told me another story not too long. He's got challenges or had challenges with vehicles. He didn't have a car because his other car was gone. And he was working a job, and they graciously loaned him the company car. 2014, yet yeah, his last year. 2014, brand new something. And they not only allowed him to use it for work, but also for personal life. And he thought, man, the worst thing that could happen is for me to wreck this car. Well, guess what happened? I was, I've been to the intersection where he was talking about. Because at this particular intersection... You can't, there's, the way the cars are lined up, you cannot see if any cars are coming. The only way you can see is if you actually pull out. Well, by the time you can see, you're already in the intersection, you can get hit. That's what happened. He pulled out, kept pulling out, and then bam, got hit. It was the company car that was messed up. And I can't remember the circ- when he did this either before or after. I can't remember that circumstance. But worshiping God was in there somewhere. And he said, you know, Dad, my attitude, because he was even surprised. He said, my attitude was in such a way that I, I was full of peace. I mean, circumstances were horrible. He said, my, my attitude was so in such a way that I had favor with the police officer. He said, it was my fault. The accident was my fault. The police officer didn't give me a ticket. He gave the other guy a ticket. He said, What? And then, of course, you know, things worked out in his favor. I mean, as far as he didn't get fired from his job and that kind of thing. But here's what encourages me about my sons. They know how to connect with him. They love Jesus. Their passion is advancing his kingdom. And the one thing, one of the things, I know there's a lot of things, but the one thing that I attribute their love and passion for him now is what we encouraged them with when they were little kids. Worship is relevant because he's worthy, and that's what we're going to do as a family. And that's what we did. We just worshiped. We put on the, we didn't have smart TVs. All the TVs were dumb back then. But we had DVD worship, or I can't remember what else we used. CD worship, that's what we did, CD worship. And guys, I would encourage you, if you want to talk practicalities, how do you do it, what are some practical things? I learned some practical things and did with the family. I can promise you this. This needs to be a commitment because I promise you war will break out. Had the most awesome fights between the boys when I said, hey guys, let's worship. Worship, Wah! you know, just chaos would break out. Remember one time when I said, um, Joseph was still living at home. It was Joseph and Grant and then the two younger ones and me and Lisa were sitting there eating dinner, watching something together. And I said, okay guys, in about five minutes, let's transition. Let's have family worship. Everybody said, all right. Within 30 to 60 seconds, this was back when Grant was still having some health issues that we never knew what it was other than the enemy. And Joseph started having some health issues. Within a minute of me declaring, we're going to have family worship, all hell broke loose in my home. 
Joseph was on the floor dying of a heart attack. So he thought he was. And Graham was in the, in the bathroom floor dying of whatever he was dying of. I'm like, are you kidding me? Serious? I mean, it was so obvious. It was so obvious. Because they had both had health issues, but they had been fine for a long time. Nothing. Zero. Until I said, let's worship. And the enemy said, not if I can help it. You remember that night? Both of my boys ended up in the ER. Remember Cornell came and hung out with us. Remember that night? You were in all hours of the night. And if, here's the cool thing. I, I put a couple of ladies on alert. I said, hey, Candy, I need you to pray. And Candy got pretty ticked. <laughs> she said, I'm sick and tired of this. Candy Clarkson. And she said, CJ, we're coming to your house tomorrow night. I said, yes, ma'am. So her and her husband and Paul and her husband, they came to our house, took care of business. <laughs> took care of serious business. And from that point forward, my boys have not had any problems with those issues. But all I want to say is that when we say, you know what, I'm going to get serious about this, the enemy is going to do everything he can to discourage you from that. And here's what I want to do. I don't normally do this. But I'm going to do it anyway because I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to do this this morning. Before I have everyone stand up, I believe the challenge from the Holy Spirit is to you brothers. And this isn't just the fathers, but this is to the men. I believe he wants to issue a challenge and, an, and, and basically it's an invitation. He wants to pull you closer to his heart. He's wanting to say, will you be a worshiper of me, of him? You don't get confused. Not a worshiper of me, okay? Don't want to start anything like that. Will you come close to my heart and be a worshiper of him, the king? And what I want to do is I want to pray a prayer over you, but if you are willing to accept that call, because I believe it is a call. I remember years ago when I embraced that call, I was in the church in Enid. There was a missions conference, uh, missions con uh, worship conference. I believe Steve Irby was leading. I can't remember. I just remember I was over there. And I was in a certain place and I was praying and I remember the Lord showed me about worship, started teaching about worship. And it was like, I, I accepted the call to become a worshiper. This is before I even had kids. I think. Become a worshiper. And it has changed my life. So, men, if you want to accept and embrace that call, I'm going to ask you to stand up and I'm going to pray for you. Father, I just thank you for what you're doing in all of us. I thank you for your grace resting right now upon these sons of yours, these men whom you love dearly. And I thank you, Father, that many times we as men get intimidated when it comes to spiritual things. When it comes to leading spiritual things, we get intimidated. But we thank you that you did not give us a spirit of fear or, or intimidation but of love, power, and a disciplined mind. And Father, I thank you that we can hear you and you desire to lead us. But I thank you for grace activating that call of the worshiper in each of these men. 
And I thank you, Father, in their uniqueness and their creativity and their personality. You're going to design worship for their families through them. And it's going to look different. But I thank you, Father, that these men are going to be the example, not only to their families, but to society. And we are going to make a difference, not through Facebook, but through the love and power of Jesus Christ, flowing through us, impacting those that we come in contact with. I thank you for gracing these brothers. I thank you for empowering them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can everybody else in here, I want to extend the same call to you as far as being a worshiper. If you want to make that same commitment, I want to invite you to stand up. I really believe this is the difference maker. I am so convinced this is the difference maker. And so what you're about to do, now I know many of you, if not most, if not all of you, have already been doing this. You've already been moving down this path. I recognize it. I understand that. But I believe you're making a fresh commitment, a fresh father from this day forward. I'm making that same fresh commitment with you. Because we're committing ourselves to him, submitting to him, and saying, Father, I'm going to learn how to encourage, to strengthen myself in the Lord by coming to you. And I'm not going to wait until things go bad. I'm going to do that all the time. So that when things go bad, I'll, I'll know how to do that already. So, Father, again, I just thank you for releasing your grace on every person here. The grace to worship. The passion to worship. The passion to run into your presence, even when everything is cool. Thank you for making us addicted to your presence where you are the one that truly satisfies and we understand and we experience that on a daily basis. Thank you, Father. We love you. We exalt you. Grace upon everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. We're going to have an amazing time starting Thursday. And I tell you what, there's going to be a little extra emphasis on the worship this Thursday. Not because of what I just preached. That's already been planned by the, that team that Dale's leading. But come on out. It's going to be awesome. So I'm going to encourage you. And, and, the, and it's going to be a lot of, we have a lot of visitors that are coming. So don't wait and be late because then you'll be sitting in the back or, or whatever. But come on out. And we're going to have a great time starting Thursday, this coming Thursday, 7 p.m. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week. I'll see you Thursday. Thank you. Mm-hmm.